0: 21st century, global news is bigger, faster, more complicated, and frankly a whole lot scarier than ever. It's hard to know which stories to pay attention to, or how to make sense of it all. Don't worry too much though, because we got you covered. We're international relations PhDs, and we're here to deliver a lighthearted dose of context and analysis to your podcast app, week after week. We're decoding global politics, so you don't have to. We are The elucidators. Hello, and welcome to another episode of The Elucidators. As always, I am your host, Steve Powley. With me, as always, is my co-host, Sumi Chatterjee. How are you doing, Sims? Uh, Not bad, Steve. How are you? I'm doing all right. We're coming at you uh, Thursday morning, uh, November 21st. And uh, first, a quick housekeeping announcement. We have a third member of our team. We've added producer Pete. <laughs> Hello. Hello. What's up, Pete? Pete's going to help us uh, with with sort of technical stuff and, uh, you know, moving our asses along if uh, we're taking too long on any given topic. So uh, we're happy to have him. Um, Sumi, where are we this week? What's going on?
1: Mercifully, Steve, we're not in a Latin American protest. This oh, week, thank God. Yeah. Well, don't worry. We'll probably be back there because Colombia is popping off. Anyway. What? Uh, yeah. Don't worry. We'll monitor the, that situation. This week, uh... Steve... We are in the Middle East. We are in the Islamic Republic of Iran, which is going through serious protests across dozens of
0: cities. Uh, So we're still on protests, huh?
1: Yeah, uh, this is an age of political protest, and I think it's been going on uh, for more than a decade now, but we're seeing it in this very concentrated form right now, and
0: it's worth talking about. Cool. All right. So we'll get to that. But first, I think we should probably do a previously on Iran so that uh, everybody knows what it is we're talking about. Um, So give me a previously on Iran. What's the deal with Iran? Previously. Previously
1: Previously. Other. Previously Previously. Other. Previously. Previously. Yeah, so when we look at Iran, Iran is got a population of about 82 million people. So put that in perspective, that's about a quarter of the size of the US in terms of population. It's a pretty big country. It's about the same size as Alaska, or about two and a half Texases. But its GDP, its economic output, is about that of New York State. So uh, a quarter of the si- a quarter of the population of the U.S. in the size of Alaska, with the economic output of New York State. This is the broad outline of what Iran is. It is also geostrategically located in a
0: very important part of the world. Right. So what we're what we're saying about Iran is this is a big important country. Absolutely. Not as big as like India or China or Russia, anything like that, but like pretty darn significant. Yeah, medium. It is medium important. Yeah, especially in the context of the Middle East. Please continue. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Uh, Iran has a long southern coastline that takes it along the Straits of Hormuz, through which passes 20% of the world's oil.
0: Wow. Okay. Definitely an important location. Uh, What sort of government does Iran have?
1: So for the last 40 years, Iran has had this weird hybrid Islamic theocracy in which it's semi-democratic in that some of its representatives are elected, but the overriding uh, ideology of the country is a form of Shia Islam, and the leader of, uh, of Iran is the Ayatollah, the supreme leader. Its current The current leader is Ayatollah Khamenei.
0: Got it. Uh, the Ayatollah of rock and roll, except nowhere near as cool, right? I mean, I wouldn't want to party with him. I'll put it that now, way. No. We're talking about a guy who is 80 years old and kind of looks like Gandalf.
1: Yeah. The only reason I might want to party with him is there's widespread reports that, as often happens when you have one person at the top whose authority is unquestioned, they tend to take a lot of money out of the state coffers. So it's, uh, alleged, it's alleged that the Supreme Leader and his, uh, his closest minions are, in fact, wealthy beyond measure, having uh, having skimmed from the Italian, uh, the Iranian coffers.
0: Interesting. It does, that does seem to be a recurring pattern in global affairs, doesn't it? What's that they say about power corrupting? Yeah, it corrupts absolutely, if yeah. it is absolute. And the supreme leader is called the supreme leader for a reason, right? It's what he says goes, even though Iran does have like a legislature and stuff like that. Yeah. All right. So, thank you very much for setting the table on Iran. Uh, let's now go to what has happened in uh, <laughs> the last week in Iran.
1: Yeah. So, last Friday, uh, the moderate president of Iran, Rouhani, uh, announced a price hike on fuel in Iran of up to 300%, somewhere between 50 and 300%. Uh, this has led to Thousands and thousands of Iranians taking to the streets in dozens of cities. And the protests have gone on since last, so we're now in our sixth day of protests. Uh, The protests have now claimed between 100 and 200 lives, depending on whose reports you're looking at. There have been more than 1,000 arrested and uh, in something that would absolutely go crazy in this country, but they can do in Iran. The government just shut the internet down when the protests started popping off.
0: Wow! So no WhatsApp, no Instagram, uh, not even Yahoo Sports. It's pretty rough. Yeah. Hey,
1: Steve. You know what? uh, What? What protesters can't do when the internet gets shut down? Coordinate. That's correct. (laughs) They cannot. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. And Iran has uh, a lot of protests over the last forty years. They have had every kind of protest that you can imagine.
0: So, so we had basically this announcement that we're going to increase the cost of fuel anywhere from 50 to 300%. Protests naturally pop off, right? Because not only do people need to drive in Iran, it's also the sort of wintertime. And it gets pretty cold in Iran. So this is like a gigantic middle finger to the people in Iran, um, more or less, right?
1: Uh, no, it's more. It's not less. And there's probably two middle fingers going up to the protesters in the streets. Because the average temperature throughout the winter, the average low in Tehran, the capital of Iran, throughout the winter is freezing or below.
0: All right. So basically big protests. The Iranian authorities, the Supreme Leader and his henchmen in the Revolutionary Guards, basically respond by sledgehammering these people with like live ammo, right? We're talking about- it's brutal, man. Yeah, straight up blood in the streets, shutting down the internet. Um, Very, very violent and forceful response at a level that we just haven't seen in Iran.
1: Close Iran watchers in the West, far closer than us, have said that these protests require special attention because the leadership in Iran looks especially unnerved and shaken by them. And uh we can now, I guess, talk about why that would be. Hey, so Steve, uh, if if you were uh, looking at Iran's economy, would you say it's doing good right now? Hell no, man, It's
0: doing real bad. How bad are we talking? Uh, well, by all accounts, inflation has jumped from 10%, which is, you know, moderate but reasonable, to 35%, which is getting towards pretty darn unreasonable. Uh, And uh, the International Monetary Fund is saying that the economy is going to contract by 10% uh, this this year year. and next. Yes. Mm -hmm. Um, And just to, you know, give you an idea of of how bad that is. uh, It's it's kind of uh, in between a depression and a Great Depression. Um, so it's a big deal (laughs)
1: in between a depression and a great depression. So yeah, a a good depression, (laughs) a good depression, a good sized
0: depression. It's not where you want to be. Uh, if you're just a normal person living in Iran.
1: Yeah. So fuel going into winter gets super expensive and the economy is contracting and inflation's going up. So the prices of everything that regular folks are going to buy is getting more and more expensive. Right. How Steve, how did we get, to this economic poop soup. How did we get here?
0: Well, uh, let me tell you, it has something to do with the Iranian leadership and something else to do with the United States. Um, We can start with the Iranian leadership if you want. Let's do that. Yeah, go for it. All right. So uh, one thing the Iranians are kind of famous or infamous for is spending a bunch of money on countries other than Iran. And more specifically, spending money on screwing those countries up. Um, they tend to fund a lot of militias basically all over the Middle East and North Africa. Uh, this is particularly important to Iran if those uh, militias are near Israel because they consider Israel the little Satan uh, to the United States, big Satan. Uh, so they try to surround Israel and cause problems uh, for the Israelis. Um, so they have basically spent a bunch of money acquiring uh, all of these militia capabilities, proxy capabilities throughout the region. They've also spent a bunch of money on things like drones, ballistic missiles, uh, and, and um, anti-naval capabilities to cause trouble uh, for the oil industry. We had an episode uh, maybe six or seven weeks ago about uh, the refinery strikes in Saudi Arabia. That was down to these Iranian capabilities. The Iranians have also done things like blown up ships in the Persian Gulf. Again, they've spent money acquiring those capabilities. And finally, and perhaps most importantly to the United States, uh, they spent a bunch of money trying to acquire nuclear weapons.
1: Whoa. So, Steve, it sounds like you're telling me that it has been a major policy priority of the regime in Iran to spend funds on foreign policy instead of trying to improve the domestic quality of life for average Iranians.
0: I think that's a pretty good way of putting it, yeah.
1: And if the policy priorities of the regime, of the supreme leader and his minions, is to, in fact, make trouble throughout the region and to try and create a region that is more amenable to Iranian influence, but Iranians themselves can't heat themselves through a cold winter, boy, would that be a reason to take to the streets?
0: Yeah. I mean, so this is, again, a revolutionary regime, right? This is the Islamic Republic and the revolution is now 40 years old. It occurred in 1979. Uh, The people responsible for (laughs) instituting the revolution are now in their 70s and 80s, including the Supreme Leader, who is 80. Uh, But they're still trying to export the revolution. Unfortunately, by doing that, they're now importing frostbite to the entire Iranian population. (laughs) And The younger people in Iran are not fucking having it. They don't want to export the revolution. They just want to join the rest of the world. They want to develop economically. They want houses. They want families. They want consumer goods. They want to be middle class. And, like, you know, controlling Shia militias in Iraq and Syria and, you know, Hamas, Gaza Strip, stuff like this, a lot less important to the new generation of Iranians.
1: Right, so this brings up uh, an important point about the, the big split in Iranian domestic politics. What mm-hmm. should Iran's orientation be? Should it be about what you're talking about, the status quo from the supreme leader and exporting revolution and all those things? Or should it be uh, what President Rouhani, a moderate, has sought, which is more international engagement? And I think that's a good jump off point to talk about the U.S.,
0: Yeah. And let's get into the U.S. after we take a quick break. Hello, valued listeners. If you like what you're hearing on The Elucidators, please do us a solid and tell everyone you know about the podcast. If you really love us, please also feel free to read us five stars on your podcast store, be it iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, or whatever, and write us a glowing review, because we rely on your positive feedback and word of mouth to grow and improve. And if you have comments or questions, Email us at all one word, at gmail.com or tweet us at the underscore elucidators. We may even answer your question on the show. And we're back. All right. So we left off talking about kind of uh, what the Iranians have been up to in foreign policy. Uh, we can't really talk about uh, the protests in Iran and understanding the situation there without also talking about what the United States has been doing vis-a-vis Iran. Um, so assumes you wanna give us a sort of a very quick intro into US-Iranian relations? Start the clock. Okay, so 40 years ago,
1: uh, the Islamic, Islamic Revolution happens. Over these four decades, the relationship between US and Iran is tense. The Obama administration comes in in 2009 and they look at Iran and they say, okay, this is a country with a shrinking economy, they don't have the capabilities they used to, let's just try and take care of their nuclearization problem. And so over the series of years, they get Iran to basically agree to a 10 to 15 year punt until like 2025, 2030 on developing any technology that could become nuclear weapons. This is received by Republicans in the US, uh, particularly then candidate Donald Trump as quote, the worst deal in the history of the world. Uh, Verbatim. That's
0: actually what he said. Yeah.
1: (laughs) This from a guy who got successive wives to sign prenups that guaranteed them less than a million dollars, even though he's purportedly a billionaire. But anyway, this is the worst deal in the world. So the worst deal in the world, Trump comes to power in 2017, January 2017. And for the first year and five months until May of 2018, doesn't do anything about the JCPOA, the Iran deal. All of a sudden. In May 2018, he says the JCPOA is out. The U.S. is out. I don't care that we negotiated with our allies and it's actually working, and Iran is abiding by by its uh, strictures. So we're out. Iran then, from May 2018 to May 2019, says we're just going to wait and see what happens. Maybe things will
0: work back out in our favor. They're yeah, to- they're continuing to talk to the Europeans, right, to see yeah. if oh, yeah. uh, you know they can get enough goodies from the Europeans. To want to stay with the nuclear deal and keep their their bomb on hold, basically. Yeah,
1: and the Europeans want the JCPOA back. They want Iranian markets. They there's look there's 80 million consumers in this country and the capacity to become a middle class country, a fully middle class country. So the Europeans are like, look, throughout history, Iran has actually been a westward looking country. We're in this weird historical moment. Why are we why are we dicking these guys around? We got them to sign onto a deal and they were following it. But Trump and his secretary of state, Mike Pompeo, have taken a much more assertive uh, stance towards Iran called maximum pressure, which involves ratcheting up sanctions and choking off the Iranian economy. So you, uh, Steve, you talked about uh, earlier when we were were prepping for the show, what does Iran's oil exports usually look like? What do they look like now?
0: Right. So Iran is normally a major oil exporter. They normally can produce anywhere between two and three million barrels of oil a day. Um, So kind of where Venezuela was uh, before Venezuela started to have all its issues economically. Um, Definitely not as big as the Saudis, but like uh, basically a top five oil producer. And the sanctions basically within the course of months drove that down to 250,000 barrels a day. So from 2.5 million to 250,000, 90% drop, like basically choking the life out of uh, this aspect of the Iranian economy. Since May of 2019,
1: the Iranians have been acting up, shooting oil tankers in the Straits of Hormuz, uh, blowing up Saudi oil fields, taking down American drones. And the question is, at this point, we're at a we're looking at Iran as an economically hurting country, a politically destabilized country and the US tightening its grip. So, the question becomes where are we going with this? Why is Iran popping off right now while they're hurting? Shouldn't they be trying to work with the US to get a better deal instead of, you know, shooting their own people over fuel protests?
0: Yeah, you'd think so, right? Um, but The people in charge of Iran are not necessarily representative of the population, um, especially the population in the cities. Again, the guy who has a final say on everything is an 80-year-old revolutionary, right, which should be a contradiction in terms, but is not.
1: I just want you to know that all of our Bernie listener is very mad at you right now.
0: Oh, yeah, right. Well, don't have a heart attack about it. Oh, too soon! No, <laughs> what? Yeah. Sorry, sorry, too it's soon. A, no, I think it was perfectly timed. <laughs> okay, um, I, I like Bernie, by the way, um, but um, but I won't vote for him. Um, <laughs> anyway, where was I? Um, you were you were
1: shit talking an eighty year old Persian uh, revolutionary leader.
0: Yeah, looks like Gandalf, um, but with a kind of a round hat instead of a pointy one. In, the,
1: in defense of the all of the ayatollah's aesthetic, the job basically comes with a uniform.
0: Yeah, flowing robes. Yeah, it's kind of like a what Jedi Jedi wizard. Yeah, like it's that. both austere
1: and majestic, and they all have more or less the same cut of beard. I mean, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. a it's a uniform.
0: Yeah, yeah, and if you're 80 years old, it makes sense. Probably pretty easy to to put on. Um, anyway. Uh, <laughs> The the protesters that have been interviewed, um, there haven't been many in Iran, have basically been quoted as saying, uh, we don't want the Islamic revolution anymore. Number one, we don't want it in Iran. Number one. Number two, we don't, we certainly don't want it exported to Iraq and Syria and Lebanon and places like that. Like, uh, we don't want to be paying for all that stuff. Uh, and we, we don't want to be squeezed by the United States, uh, for, uh, this foreign policy that doesn't serve our interests in any way, shape or form. Right. Yeah,
1: Steve, that's no, that's absolutely right. And, uh, in furtherance of your point that there's this divide on Iranian foreign policy versus domestic policy, there are, there are currently protests going on in Lebanon, which we won't get into in this episode, but some of the Lebanese protesters in the streets this week, were shouting their support of Iran, while Iranians are shouting their displeasure with Iran.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it's pretty confusing. So uh, Uh, Iraq Iraq is also on fire with protests, by the way. Um, And so the the Iranian regime is watching kind of its whole house of cards in the Middle East fall down. uh, Because again, it's funded militias uh, that have undercut governments in all of these places and, and tried to reorient these countries to be more supportive of Iranian foreign policy. But this is really like a guns versus butter question. Uh, you know, and, uh, what the, the younger part of the Iranian populace is saying is like, we're sick of guns. Like we don't want to fight anybody. We want butter. You know, we want consumer goods. We want those European luxury goods. You know, (laughs) the Europeans want to sell them to us and we want to buy like Liz perfume, luxury cars, all that stuff. We want to join the rest of the world. You know, we're, we're young, we're well-educated, uh, and we have things to
1: offer. Yeah, you boil this down, and it's like, hey, I would like to be able to heat myself through the winter, have good internet access, and you are trying to, and you are propping up a civil war in Yemen and destabilizing Lebanon to mess with Israel. This is not keeping me warm or getting me good. What's up? WhatsApp access. Get no. your shit straight. I also yeah. want to say one thing for all of Iran's meddling in other countries, they've had some embarrassing failures.
0: I, oh yeah! Oh yeah!
1: Oh yeah! No, I, you know what's coming. There's, there's two that I'd like to talk, uh, talk about. There was about earlier in this decade, there was an attempt by uh, Iran to kill the Saudi ambassador to the U.S. in Washington. But this is what uh, this is how bumbling they are. One of the Iranian assets, he in trying to find an assassin, actually approached a DEA administration informant, a drug I'm enforcement so- administration informant, to be the assassin. Yeah. I don't know. I, I, this is like you know, this is the the oxymoron of intelligence, right? And this is my favorite one. In 2012, Iranian terrorists yeah. in Bangkok. accidentally set off an explosion in their own safe house (laughs) the thai police investigating an explosion then go to the safe house the iranian terrorists now fully on tilt unaware of how to deal with nearly blowing themselves up chuck a grenade at the thai police but because they're so shook they throw the grenade straight into a tree. The grenade bounces back into the already once exploded safe house, explodes again, and takes off one of the Iranian terrorist legs.
0: Wow. So, this is a real life version of basically uh, Wiley e. Coyote blowing himself up?
1: Uh, yeah. I mean, uh, Wiley e. Coyote, I think, had a little more dignity than that, but yes.
0: Right. <laughs> yeah. It's it, I'm bummer that that guy lost his leg, but uh, it's also kind of hilarious.
1: Yeah. Uh, well, having lost a toe, I can go ahead and make these jokes. I'm in the uh, nub, I'm, as a member of the nubbed community. I'm I'm allowed to say these. Oh things. my
0: goodness. Yeah.
1: Anyway, um, this is where I think it's a good point to really quickly talking about the insanity and some of the crazy stories that happen vis-a-vis Iran. There's a real problem here that Iran has with Israel, the little Satan, as you've talked about. Israeli uh, Israeli Mossad agents have. Been spectacularly successful at disrupting the Iranian nuclear program.
0: Oh my goodness. Yeah. So uh, basically, one of the worst jobs you can have in the entire world is Iranian nuclear scientist, uh, because what tends to happen is two guys on a motorcycle uh, basically ride up to you on the street and shoot you and then zoom off. And this has happened, uh, I think, almost double digit number of times over the course of the last 15 years. They've gotten really, really good at picking off Iranian nuclear scientists in this way. Uh, Number one. Number two, uh, have you heard of Stuxnet? Uh, What's a Stuxnet, Steve? So this is a nasty little piece of code. uh, Computer code? uh, Computer code. Okay. uh, Used to conduct cyber warfare against the Iranian nuclear program in the last decade. Um, So the Israelis and Americans collaborated on what amounts to a computer virus called Stuxnet that was used to infect Iranian nuclear centrifuges, which are very complex machines, highly computerized, that are used to generate nuclear fuel for reactors and or bombs kind of dual use. Right. And that's part of the problem. Um, And so they infected the centrifuges with this worm in such a way that the centrifuges spun out of control and basically destroyed themselves. Um, Again, in a scene somewhat reminiscent of a cartoon in all these like hidden underground facilities, you had these centrifuges basically spinning out of control, rolling all over the room and spraying uranium everywhere. So we, got Iranian, so we got Iranian terrorists blowing their own legs off
1: in Thailand and Iranian scientists getting assassinated by motorcycled, motorcycled Israeli intelligence agents. And if you're lucky enough to make it off the streets and not get killed by a Mossad agent, you might have a computer hacked nuclear centrifuge that's going to spit radioactive uranium or plutonium at you.
0: Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. It's like the sorcerers are apprenticed where the where the brooms are marching around and Mickey can't do shit. Yeah. And uh-huh. the regular folks can't afford fuel. This is not an yeah. operation. Nah, man. It's it's like, here's the thing about these guys, right? Um, they have had pretensions for 40 years um to running the greater Middle East. And One can understand why, uh, in a cultural sense, they've wanted to do this. Uh, Iran, again, is thousands of years old, used to run the entire Middle East, hundreds and thousands of years ago, right? Um, And so uh, this is, to some extent, part of their DNA. Um, And they want to get back to that. Um, They want to reestablish hegemony over the Middle East, right? But they don't really have the resources to do it. They don't have that great of an army, right? Right. Uh, So instead, they're basically playing Cobra Commander and trying to do all this skullduggery on the cheap uh, to mess with all of these other places, cause trouble, buy missiles, get nukes, uh, and just generally be a pain in the ass internationally, right? What does this actually accomplish for Iran? Well, one can say that they've been really successful and they actually control all of these countries. But like, what does that do for them? What is it like? Has it helped them as a country? Has it helped them develop? No, it's actually been the opposite because the rest of the world, especially the United States has been like, you guys are such a pain in the ass. We need you to stop doing all of this. And until you do, we're just going to choke you out.
1: Right. And to, to that point, um, when we're comparing the U S and Iran, okay. We say it's the size of Alaska and it's got a quarter of the population of the U S it also has basically 2% of the economic output of the US. Right, yeah. It's not an economic powerhouse. And we're making sure that it's going to become closer to an economic outhouse. There's
0: a, <laughs> a basket this, case.
1: Yeah, this is not a good deal. Iran's outlook is not great. And the question that I asked a while ago, and I'll ask it again now is, what possible reason could they have to pop off, given that they have domestic political unrest and they're destabilizing all
0: of the Middle East,
1: like why are you why are you taking down American drones? Why
0: are you? Yeah, into- no, it's it's the right question, and I think what's happening is this: the people in charge of Iran only know how to do a handful of things, right? Uh, and accommodation is not necessarily one of them, especially not from a position of weakness. And that's somewhat understandable. Right. So what they want to do is they want to be able to say, hey, you can hurt us, but we can also hurt you. Right. Hence the refinery strike. Hence the oil tankers blowing up and so on. Um, they want to regain some degree of leverage for what is almost certainly going to be a series of negotiations. Right. They don't want to go into that with a weak hand. Um because that means that the U.S. will just dictate turns to them. And that's the last thing they want. Remember that the U.S. is the great Satan, and the Iranian revolutionary regime, the only thing that they can't do is be uh, be seen by the population as giving up um, to the great Satan, uh, because they've spent 40 years basically saying, well, these guys are the worst guys in the world, Um, and literally opening and closing every official... Uh, government communication with death to America and death to Israel, <laughs> the great and little Satan. So, th- th- this is really built into their DNA, right? So, it's like, all right, uh, we have pretensions to being a big, important country and running the Middle East. We probably can't do that, fine, but we also can't just roll over. Um, so, we need to get to a point where we've established some degree of, you know, I guess you could call it hand against the Americans and their allies, like the Saudis, um, so that we have some cards to play because right right now we don't have any cards to play. The, uh,
1: there, so this is a good, it's a really good point because many of the closer Iran watchers than us have made the argument that Iran is popping off, uh, so that they can have leverage for what will be the next round of negotiations. Uh, It's it's a good thing to point out that the whole deal with the Iran deal is, okay. Iran doesn't go nuclear or can't do anything nuclear development related for 10, 15 years, but they get a ton of sanctions relief. And so the economy can can flourish again or rather can can be revived right now. Everything we've talked about is a struggling country
0: that needs economic relief badly. Yeah, but like they're behaving in such a way where they're actually digging the hole deeper right? And they feel like they have oh, to no do doubt they're bad at this. Yeah, they feel like they have to do that. Because again, they need cards to play. But like, while they're gaining cards at one end, they're actually losing cards out the other end, right? They're they're drawing and discarding at exactly the same time. They're drawing in foreign policy. So they're they're gaining cards to play in foreign policy by blowing shit up and causing trouble. But they're discarding cards domestically because people are super pissed. And Uh, They think they can do this. They think that they can manage to like suppress the population by just gunning them down in the streets. And that might work for a while, but like, man, that is kind of a risky teeter totter play, uh, Uh, you know, to to keep playing that card. It's absolutely risky.
1: And frankly, while we're talking about risky strategies, we should be equally critical of the American strategy here, the Trump Pompeo maximum pressure approach is, let's be very clear, it is aimed at, at, at minimum, crippling the Iranian economy, which it's doing quite successfully, and at maximum, leading to regime change. Now, this is, let's look at our Iranian neighbors in Iraq, with the, with the deposition of, sorry, with the removal of Saddam. It's a really important question when you're talking about regime change to then say, what next? Who's coming in next? Are they gonna be legitimate? Can they have any kind of real governing power? Or is this gonna be someone that's gonna make the situation much, 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 much worse?
0: Or maybe it isn't even someone, and it just turns into a giant civil war. And we get more things like the Islamic State like coming up out of the soup, right? Uh, And if that were to happen in a country, the size and power and population of Iran Uh, That would not be a small problem. That would not be a medium problem. That would be a very large problem for the entire world Um, because it's right in the, basically in the middle of the Middle East and it would be an absolute disaster. We don't want the Iranian government to collapse and we shouldn't want regime change either. Um, The Iranians are justifiably worried when they look at Trump and they ask themselves, well, if we were to comply with this guy, who's to say that he wouldn't just step on our neck and kill us? when we're vulnerable, right? We can't trust this fucking guy. Nobody can trust this guy, including the United States. All he does is lie. Um, So why should we believe anything that he says, right? When you're trying to coerce somebody, when you're trying to get them to do something that they don't want to do, they have to believe that if they do it, they're going to get rewarded, right? And I think fundamentally, the Iranians don't believe that right now. And if they don't believe it, if they think that they're just going to die no matter what, then why not go out in a blaze of glory, right? And this is exactly what happened to the Japanese prior to Pearl Harbor. We actually cut off their supply of oil um, using sanctions and completely screwed them. And we didn't offer them any options. They had no outs, right? So they just said, look, we are no, we know we're going to lose this war, but we have to do it. We have to do something. Uh, and they did. They struck Pearl Harbor. And There is an increasingly non-zero chance that the Iranians are looking at the situation and they're like, we're going to die anyway. So we we can either die fast or die slow. Um, I don't think they want to fight, but if they feel like they have no choice, they might do it.
1: Yeah. there's, By the way, uh, there's a certain irony that I think should be pointed out. Um, During the Islamic Revolution, the revolution happens against a government that's supported by the British, by the Americans. It's got a ton of resources. It's well, it's got good, strong allies. And it still went down despite being very strong. Now, those same revolutionaries, that same ideology, are looking at their country and saying, We're very strong. We have good, domestics, uh, we have good domestic uh, opposition suppression forces. We are secure. And yet it also appears that they have not learned the lesson of their own rise to power, which is that even even (laughs) the strongest (laughs) regimes can fall against an unhappy, let's just say, a furious citizenry that sees a government as unresponsive to its
0: needs. Exactly. And yeah, again, these guys are now in their 70s and 80s. The guy in charge is basically Islamic Gandalf without the wisdom, right? More or less. Um, and like, you know, you're going to be on a list. <laughs> <laughs> that's fine. Um, bring it. Uh, and, and we talked about this in reference, uh, to Chile. Right. And, and like, this is another one of those countries where the people in charge are old, you know, they're basically really old boomers. Um, and, and I guess silent generation, um, or greatest generation, whatever it is. And they're out of touch with younger people who want things Completely different, mostly, uh, than than what they wanted. And you're totally right. Like this was the setup for the original original Islamic Revolution in 1979, and guys like Khomeini probably have forgotten those lessons.
1: It's a uh, it, it's a really tough situation in Iran because there there has to be some give, either from the U.S., which looks highly unlikely or from the Iranians. And uh, it's going to be one we're going to have to, we're going to have to keep watching. Should we leave gonna it there? We're going
0: to have to monitor the situation.
1: Yeah, let's keep monitoring this one. I have a feeling this one will be impossible to ignore.
0: Yeah, uh, basically this is this is ongoing. The protests have been suppressed for the time being, but uh, it, you know, this is a pressure cooker and it can go in any number of different, different directions very quickly. From a new Iranian revolution to a greater Middle Eastern war to uh, more of uh, basically nothing we we don't know um, but <laughs> like an Ar- like an Iranian centrifuge it could go spinning out of control spitting radioactive material in every direction We hope not but yeah totally that could totally happen and um, whatever happens we will be here for it uh, and uh, let's wrap it there yeah see you next week see you next week.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs>